God is good, right? All the time. So we are going to be in the book of John as we've been in through our series, John, that you may believe. And we're going to be in chapter 13. You definitely want to be in your paper Bible or in your Bible app because you always want to check and make sure we're not making it up. You want to make sure that it's truthfully in there. And the title of this sermon today is Foot Washings and Farewells. And uh, the reason why I want to point that out to you is we have now moved out of Jesus Christ's public ministry. He has ended it. And now in chapter 13 through 17, we're going to be moving to what some people call the upper room discourse. But I was looking at a commentary, I think like two weeks ago, and they had a different title for it. They called it the farewell discourse. Farewell from Jesus, because this will be the last 24 hours of his life. And I just want you to, as we're going through the passage and we're going through the verses, I want you to ask yourself, just like Jesus is doing right now, if I had 24 hours to live... If I knew I was going to die in 24 hours, what would I tell my loved ones? What would be the most important things on my mind and my heart, and what would I deliver to them? And I, I find that's what makes this passage um, so sacred. It's holy time to hear from Jesus what's most important to him as he spends this time with his loved ones, his disciples, his close guys, right? And so these words feel so powerful because they are words of parting tenderness, Right? But I feel like there's so much more than that because he has such a love for the disciples. He's bringing them into his legacy as well. And we're going to see that. So if you can, join me uh, in chapter 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's a very awesome first verse, so I just want to point out to you, some of your translations might say, he loved them to the very last. And you can read that in maybe one of two ways. You could read it to Jesus' very last, or to the end as he's going to the cross, right? He kept loving his disciples all the way to the very end, but I want to put this in a perspective for you. He loved them to their very end. And I want to, you to keep that in your mind as we move through, as you see who's in the room tonight in this Passover night. And it's also fascinating insight to who Christ is, right? Because it shows you the man that he is and also his divine nature. Um, I can let you know, if you've ever been in the position like you are leaving one job and you're going to another job, sometimes there towards that last week or that last day, things kind of go by the wayside, right? Little things might go. If you're in high school, if you've ever been in high school and you're a senior in high school and you're on the way to college, you can just see it in their eyes. I'm already at college. Forget this place. Forget this popsicle stand. I'm on to the next thing, right? And yet, what does Jesus do here in this moment? He's laser focused on the people that he loves. And he's making sure that his believers, that his disciples have the very best of him, which is an interesting transition to verse two. Listen to this. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, this is a very weird verse to me to, to put right here because the first verse is so tender, and then the second one is like, ugh, Judas, and we all went boo, right, hiss, right? But look at the God he's doing. He, I'm going to love them to their very last, Judas. That puts things in perspective, doesn't it? It puts a perspective into who God is. Christ is parting with such powerful words in a tender time, and yet the enemy is working in the room, and Christ is still ministering nonetheless. And Judas is already being commissioned right now, right here, 
to portray Jesus, and yet he's allowed on the guest list. See, that shows you God's divine nature and his unlimited love, because if it was me, I would have told like, one of the disciples, make sure that the guest list is 11, and I would have had two big bouncers at the door, and have been like, yes, they would have moved the velvet rope. Peter, yes, Sonia, everybody come in. Judas, see you later. You're not allowed because you are the worst, and I don't want you to be here. And yet, the Lord is going to minister to Judas here this night. Fascinating to me because Judas is an interesting character. Judas is a man who sat under the teachings of Jesus Christ. Judas is a man who watched Jesus do what only he could do, raise people from the dead, walk on water. He saw the power and flow of the Holy Spirit through Jesus in a way that no one's ever experienced, and yet he would go on to sell him for cold, hard cash. And this is a picture of the Lord who is sitting at the, uh, sitting at the, the table with Judas and still ministering, and I would say it's a different person than me. I would not. I would have been like two angels. Get rid of this guy right now. Toss him out. Throw him. Throw him as far as you can throw him. But he didn't do it. Look at verse 3. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took his outer clothing, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Now, this is a fascinating passage, too, because there's a very common thing that's happening. Right now, Jesus is washing feet. And if you ever got invited to a banquet in the Middle East at this time, you would probably have your feet washed. Because what would happen is they would recline at a table. And usually when they would recline at a table, their feet would be out and met next to the person that's with you. So that means if their feet are covered in rocks and stinky and messy, that's near you while you're eating. And yet no one had the humility inside of them to pick up the water. And now I bet you they think, I wish I had. Now, the only reason that, the, that Jesus is doing this is because this is being done in secret. Now, normally, if you hired a person to oversee a dinner, you would get a, a servant. Now, I'll let you know there's a caste system with even servants. If there's a top servant, he ain't washing feet. He's going all the way down to the lowest servant and going, guess who's washing feet tonight? And yet, that's the position Jesus took. They didn't have a foot washer, so Jesus is doing it. But look at how verse 3 starts it. All power is given to, God, to Jesus through the Father, right? And what does he do with all that power? He gets on his hands and knees, and he starts washing. And I want to remind you who's still there, Judas, which kind of shows you this in our first point. Christ shows us that God's power and love are without limits. That includes you. That includes me. You see, Jesus is the ultimate expressions of God's love to us. If you want to know how much God loves you, think about this. He sent Jesus Christ with all power and with all love to come to you. And yet he didn't come to you and put a finger in your face. He didn't come to you and challenge you. What he did is he came to you and he loved you by getting on his hands and knees and washing you in a way that you didn't deserve but yet still did it. Think about this. This is the union that we have made with Christ. The sole purpose of Christ's coming was to fix the relationship that you broke with your sin with God. All power, all love came for one reason, to fix a relationship. And just think about this union that Christ has made with you, knowing who you are, knowing how dirty your feet would be. 
he would wash. Knowing how much sin is on your heart, he would wash. And I just think about this. He's counted the cost in the same way that we count the cost at a wedding vow, don't we? You kind of hear that same kind of call. Listen to this wedding vow, to have and to hold from this day forward, right? For better, does it stop there? No, and for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. And so this is a normal wedding uh, speech that we give to each other. We share vows. And inside of this, you can hear it. It's, it's that beauty of I take you as you are and I love you and I walk forward to what? To death. And yet with Christ, Christ chose you thinking about this. At least I could love you till you die and then, then I get rid of you, right? No, no. He goes, I love you till you die and then beyond. There is no parting with Christ. So the Lord comes to you not only with unlimited power, but unlimited love. And so to death to us part doesn't exist, and it's not encoded in the vow that God makes to you. And yet when he makes this union with you, he says, I'm not interested with parting with you. I'm interested with joining with you forever. And that kind of reminds me of the wedding ring, right? When you look at the wedding ring, it's a symbol of an acknowledgement that I belong to my spouse and she belongs to me, but it also is another symbol. It's a symbol of a loop that's never-ending. It's infinite. And that's how God chose you, knowing that he would take you as you are now and lead you into the infinite. And so that also means that if we put in a DVD of my worst day and we played it on the screen and you were ever, never able to look at me the same again, because that's my worst day. Jesus would be sitting in the front row, and he would go, I choose that guy. I die for that guy. And I would be sitting in the front row with him, and it would be a movie about me, and I would go, that guy's the worst. Get rid of him. And yet the Lord would pour out infinite love, and that's how he shapes us. That's how he captures us with a love that goes beyond what we can think and we can express, and it's forever. And you think about that. Could you love someone for eternity? Husbands and wives in the room today, say yes. Please say yes. Fix that dinner afterwards. But when you think about it, that's a very, very long time, isn't it? And you don't know what's to come. And we can't always think about the unknown. And yet we know that God has the stamina and the ability to choose that because when you look at the cross, he paid for the sins, not only that you've committed, but the ones you haven't even committed yet. And he still chose you. And he came to you when you knew him not at all. Before you even knew that he existed, he picked you. And so this is a love that we can fall into and we can trust because no matter how bad I am, his grace and his love runs deeper still. And that's how I can have full faith in it because his love is deeper and bigger and stronger than me. And so how can we know that this love and this power are perfect in union together? Just think about this. Have you ever heard this statement, power corrupts? Actually, it's kind of a misquoted statement. Lord Acton would say this, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Even when they exercise influence and not authority, there is no worse heresy than the office sanctifies the holder of it. You know why you're going to listen to me? Because I'm the guy in the position. You know what, you ever see, see like, you know why you're going to listen to me? Because I have the microphone. You know, like, it's, it's always the person said, I am justified by my position. Jesus Christ comes to you and says, I'm justified because of my heart. And that's interesting because you think that what we're dealing with right here is power could corrupt. How do we know that God is so perfect in his balance and he's not corrupted? Think about how Jesus Christ would treat you if he didn't have unlimited love for you. 
He had full power, unlimited power, all power of God given to him. How would he handle you differently if he didn't have the love that he had today? Pretty sure you would see lightning strike me a million times. But yet he doesn't. He comes forward and he chases me down with his grace. And look at this other part. Interesting. Till death do us part. Christ, like I said before, uh, is not interested in parting with us, but I'm not only just saved by God's love, I'm saved by his power, and his power raised me up to the heavenly places, Colossians would say. And so once again, his power goes beyond my limits. So even in my failure, I failed God, correct? My wages of sin has equal death, and yet he has reached into my sin, he has reached in my death, and lifted me up to eternal places. Why? For his name's sake, and Why? so that he could be with us forever. So even though I might be unlovable today, he's loving me with a power that will make me lovable for eternity. Who can do that? Who can do that but Christ? Now let's continue, verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And you gotta go, listen, weirdo, I've been washing everybody's feet, and now I'm not gonna wash your feet. Verse seven, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And so there's a couple of things happening here that are so interesting. I love Peter because he's a sermon unto himself, isn't he? Doesn't he always have the greatest hits in the Bible? But listen to this. His never that he's saying to Jesus is a very emphatic never. Now, we're not going to get nerdy into some Greek and Aramaic, but if you were to unpack this word, this word is never, ever, never, never, ever, for eternity, ever. That's how that translates. And so he's looking Jesus in the eye, and Jesus is saying, I must wash your feet. And Peter's saying, not for eternity, God. And I want you to know, you could see maybe there's a squirm inside of Peter because you can think about this. Jesus, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus is saying, no, I need to wash your feet. And you could say, but you are Messiah and you're a master. Even in Matthew 16, uh, we'll put it up on the screen. Peter had this moment when Jesus questioned his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So you could say on one level, it could be very tough to let the son of the living God wash your feet. But look at this next part, what Jesus says to him. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. The response from Peter did not come from his flesh. The response from Peter did not come from his own understanding. The response came from being in the presence of God and letting the presence of God dictate to Peter what needed to take place. You're not just a prophet. You're the son of God. You're not just some kind of guy that's really a holy man. You are the Messiah. And as I am acknowledging you as the word Messiah, Messiah just comes not with a word like, you're a really great guy that I want to get to know. Messiah is my Savior, which means I need to be saved. So if your Savior comes to you, you must listen. But look at how Jesus answers in our text. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I mean, he shuts Peter down in this way. I know that you're crying out the, uh, against the fact that the Lord uh, shouldn't wash your feet because you feel this kind of moment, but I want to let you know there's something that Christ is unpacking in him. You are in your flesh right now. You are telling me that you are more than okay and that I don't need to wash you. 
And God is saying, unless you are moved from unholy to holy, you have no place with holiness. We must come to that place where we let Christ wash us, don't we? So in what we're experiencing right here is we're having a struggle inside of Peter because Peter's not humble enough to say to himself, maybe I just need to sit still and let the Lord do what he needs to do. Maybe I need to let the Spirit reveal into me, even though against my other nature, my, what I can perceive is, hey, I'm okay, Christ, these other disciples need to be washed, but you and I, we're one of the better ones. Let's just look at them and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we're okay. But Christ is going, no, you don't understand. Out of your need, I am preaching to you. I'm looking at you, and you need to submit and allow me to be humble. It's really hard for us to be humble before a humble God, isn't it? I want you to consider that for a second. We can bring our humility to God. Here, God, here's my worship. Here's my tithe. But when the Lord humbles himself before us, it puts everything in check, and we're going to see that. Listen to this quote that comes from a scholar named Temple. Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. For there can be much pride and condescension in the giving of our service. See, we can take pride in our service. It can be a prideful moment. You could walk up to somebody. It could be real easy. They're in need. You could bring a couple bucks out of your pocket, put your hands and go, that's no big thing. I love you. God bless yourself. Go get yourself a taco. I'm from Calvary Chapel. I'm one of the better Christians in the area. Come see us. (laughs) And that means nothing to the Lord because you did it out of your pride and it took no humility. But it's a different thing to stand before the Lord and admit this, Lord, I'm dirty. I'm broken. I'm weak. I am not as elite as I think I am, and I need to be moved to the place of brokenness before you where I say, please wash me in a power that only you have because I don't have it. David Guzik would say it this way, a really great quote, sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others. If we only serve and refuse to be served, it can be a sign of deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. That's a very powerful quote. It's very hard to say to another person, you're right. You're right. I'm in the wrong. I need to receive. I need to admit. And that can be a painful and prideful place that is broken at the same time. I want to let you know something. I I was one summer. um, I was in the position of joining the varsity basketball team. And I had to get the latest Jordans. Because I don't know if you've ever shopped for basketball shoes. Sometimes you have to get a second mortgage for some of these guys. But they're so awesome. It's like jumping and landing on a cloud. And that's what I wanted for the, you know, for the upcoming basketball season. But my family couldn't afford it. So I took a job um, with my uh, uncle doing electrical work. And he went out to uh, help this little old lady. And uh, my uncle says, so what are you working for? And I said, oh, Air Jordans. And he goes, oh, man, you're going to love those more than the shoes that you have on. I had these raggedy shoes on that I had been in for longer than I should have been in. And so I'm so excited excited and I'm doing the work and right as we're leaving and we said goodbye to this little old lady, she grabbed my arm really hard and slammed a couple of bucks in my hands. And I said, oh, what's this for? We didn't do anything. We just changed a couple of light bulbs. It wasn't a big deal. And she goes, no, 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 you, you, you need this. And I said, oh, no, no, thank you. We really didn't do enough to earn this. And she did one of these. She looked down at my shoes and she looked up at me and she goes, take the money. Maya looked over at my uncle, and he goes, don't steal her blessing. Take the money. Let's get those shoes. 
And I could tell you that on the surface I said I was okay, but there was a story and there was a need. And sometimes I wonder if God is looking at us and we're saying with whatever raggedy holes in our soul and, and broken down dirt all over us, we say to Jesus, we're okay. And the Lord's like, take the blessing. Take the salvation. Take the washing. And what it really comes down to is we're out of balance with the truth, aren't we? The truth is I am okay on the surface. Have you seen my social media? Have you seen my Facebook? Have you seen how great of a life I'm living? But underneath, the Lord's going, there's a lot of work to be done. And nobody can do it, including not yourself. Which brings us to our next point. Our obedience opens the door for Christ's balance of power and love to us. Something that we don't realize is we don't have a lot to offer the Lord other than our disobedience and our obedience. That's pretty much all we bring to this relationship. And really what I'm doing in that moment when I'm looking at this point is, um, Lord, I'm just hoping that if I give you proper submission, that I'm acknowledging that I can't do what you can do and you will now begin to do what you do. Pride says, no, Lord, I can't admit that I need you. Humility says, oh, Lord, if you don't, I can't. I am at loss. I am at lack without you. And so this is the goal of proper obedience is just sitting down and letting go and letting the Lord begin. It's very simple when we say it that way, right? When we get out of the way. Can you imagine how awesome the church would be if we didn't argue with Jesus and just let him do what he does? Can you imagine how great our personal lives would be if we didn't argue with Jesus and we just sat down and let him do the washing? Look at verse 9. Then the Lord, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter, man. He just doesn't miss, does he? I mean, he's just, he, he doubles down on ridiculousness in front of the Lord. He's so extreme. It's like, it's like all or nothing, right? It's like, don't touch my toes. Okay, give me a complete bath. It's like, Peter, make up your mind. What's going on here? But that's Peter. He's an immature believer. And what he's doing is he's swinging from side to side in a way to impress the Lord, but he's missing the point. He's saying, go ahead and give me a full bath because I think that would be more impressive than what the other disciples got. Because he's not willing to stop and deal with the actual problem. He wants to project something. Look at verse 10. Jesus answers him. Jesus always never outdone, right? Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. Though not every one of you. And you kind of know, like in a movie, he probably locked eyes right with Judas, right? He was like, I'm talking to you. <laughs> But this is something that you have to understand is that if you were invited to a banquet in this time and place, you would probably do the best that you can to take a full bath. And then you would put on your best colognes and perfumes. And then you would put on your best clothes and even your best and latest sandals. And you would walk over to your friend's house and you would come in. And in the process of going from point A to point B, even though you smell good and look good, your feet would get dirty. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have received salvation and you're a believer, then yes, you have received a total bath. You're good. But in the process of moving around through life, by the process of just making mistakes and failures and walking where you shouldn't walk, guess what? You're going to be dirty. And so he's acknowledging that, yes, you have a perfected body, but what about your feet? They're clean. Are there parts of you as a Christian that are not perfect today? Are there parts of you touching things that you shouldn't be touching, and yet the Lord does what? He doesn't run from it. He doesn't put his finger in your face. What does he do? He gets down and starts washing. The only difference is we're reminded how dirty and sinful we are when he does. 
And that's the point of contention between him and Peter. Yes, that's why when we do repentance, right? There's repentance, and then there's salvation, and then there's a baptism. And you only do that once. You don't need to get saved over and over. You can rededicate your life, yes? But after that, guess what? There's still going to be daily cleansing of our feet, isn't there not? So yes, we have salvation, but do we need forgiveness? Yes, and is God up to the task? Let me just say this. Um, I'm going to be real with you. I hope you guys can just receive that I'm a real human being. Um, I'm going to tell you the story. I was in my garage. I told this on Wednesday, but this is true. It still sticks out. I was in my garage, and a snake came in the garage, okay? And if you know about anything about me and Indiana Jones, we hate snakes. And I thought things in my head that I should not think. Now, I will let you know, your pastor remained pure in his mouth. I did not let them out. I did a good job, but I thought them, and I shooed this snake away. This big, by the way. This, I shooed him out the door, and he got out the door, and I was like, oh, praise the Lord, he's gone. But then I had to go before the Lord. I go in my heart and in my head. I said things that I, and thought things. But you understand, that was, you saw how huge that snake was, God, right? You saw how big that thing was. Like, you understand what I was dealing with. But Lord, would you forgive me? How quick was that forgiveness taking place? Just like that, instantly. Why? Because the Lord's up for that daily washing. And that's what he's saying to Peter. Stop pretending you're somebody you're not. Just let me do what I have to do. Look at verse 11. For he knew he was going to betray him. And that's why he had said not everyone was clean. And he's talking about Judas here. Judas with a dirty heart and a sinful soul would be in the same room as as the disciples, and guess what? Did Jesus wash his feet? Yep. And yet, in experiencing Jesus all the way through his ministry and experiencing this beautiful evening and these tender words, did did Judas know Jesus well? Not really. He didn't know him as Messiah. Did he spend time? Was he in church? Was he alongside the ministry of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Did he miss Jesus? Yes. Why? Because he never let Jesus do what he needed to do. Being in church is not good enough. Singing songs all week long on Z88.3, not good enough. 15 different highlighters that you pull out to mark up your Bible, that's awesome, not good enough. What you need to do is sit down and let Jesus work inside of you and admit, I am a broken sinner and I can only make it to heaven by your blood and you have freely given it to me. That's it. The total cleansing. Look at verse 12. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on, their, on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. And this is amazing to me because the Lord is challenging them. Do you guys call me teacher? Yes, good, because you learn from me and you have allowed me to be your teacher, so let me teach you. Do you call me Lord? Yes, then let me be your Lord. Now, that word Lord comes with a heavy connotation. If I say go, you go. If I say sit still, you sit still. If I'm your Lord, you listen, I command your life, and you go exactly how I say. And yet, this is what he's saying. Now that your Lord, with full power and full love, has come to you, what has he shown you? Servitude service. Now you have been brought into the legacy that I have brought you into. Now you know how I identify with you. You will come to me and I will serve you. Now you will go out and you will serve. There's nothing more amazing to me that God has chosen me to be a part of his ministry. 
Me with the ugly, dirty feet that are covered in sin. Me with the heart that I would never want to open up and bear to you guys for pure embarrassment and shame. And yet the Lord looked at me and said, now that's the guy who I can wash. And that's the guy who will go on and wash other people's feet. And that's you in this room. I'm always amazed. I'm like, don't you think I'll hurt your cause? Don't you think you'll have less Christians because of me? And he says, no, when they see you, from like, I don't know if you've seen Extreme Home Makeover or any of those shows, or Hoarders, when they clean the house and you're like, whoa, there's a house here. When somebody sees the work that the Lord has done in me, they can go, oh, this could only happen because of Jesus. This can only happen because of Jesus. And that's what the Lord is calling us into. It's very simple. I showed you love, now you show love. I have showed you power, so you get filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit, and what do you do with that power? You get on your knees, you get on your hands, and you wash feet. It's humbling. Like I say, it's very, very humbling for us to see Christ in his humility, isn't it? Look at this in Philippians 2, chapter 6 and 7. Uh, Paul puts it very eloquently about Jesus. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. That's kind of, you could just stop right there and go, hmm. Look at this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So who is Jesus Christ? Equal with God, but what did he choose? Servanthood. You see, if he was in full power and he was without love, you would see something different. See, power tries to climb, doesn't it? But love tries to reach down and serve. Power seeks itself. What can I do for me? Love goes, what can I do for the other person? And so humility is not always what we don't do. Humility, sometimes we think humility is the person who just, I'm going to step away and let somebody else have the limelight. I'm, I'm going to let somebody else lead. That's not humility. Humility is not being a wallflower and disappearing to the, to the wallpaper. Humility is saying this, I have to do something because it's worthy of it, no matter if I like it or not. And I would say this, I'm not sure if the Lord loved getting down washing feet, but he did it because he loved them. And so that's what the Lord is saying. If you love me, love them. Look at verse 16. He goes on to say, Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. I challenge you with this the thought. It could be very easy for us to be humble before the Lord and to the Lord, right? And the hum humility that we could have to the Lord is like I said before, Lord, here's my best. Lord, I give you my tithe and offering. Hey, I'm going to give you 11%. I'm so awesome, Lord. Or, or Lord, I'm going to sing extra loud today. Or Lord, I'm going to be really awesome and say, God bless you to everybody at Publix. And the Lord would say, that's fine. But what about when the Lord comes to you in his humility? It's easy to be humble to the Lord. It's very hard for the Lord to be humble to us, right? Because what does that do? That puts into check all of your humility and all of your pride because you could come to God and go, look how great I am. And then he gets down and starts washing your feet with all power. Think about it. God of the universe created the heavens and the stars. Have you been looking at the, at the, the, the Hubble telescope, things that all the things are getting across the planets? right? All these beautiful, I mean, this is God's artwork, right? And I would be much more interested in going over there if I was God and playing with all these clouds and like planets. And I go, the angels go, hey, God, Joey's back here and he needs your help. And I'm like, Joey, pfft. have you seen what I did with Jupiter? And yet the Lord has a mind for me back here. And he goes, with all of this creative power and all of this love, I'm going to focus on you today. Wow. What a moment, right? And so when he gets down with all that power and washes your feet, what are you going to do? Lord, have you seen how awesome I've been today? No, you're like, I'm throwing that away. Lord, let me just be as humble as you are. 
Verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, I love this word blessed. We don't talk about this enough. A lot of times in church, we do, oh, I need to be forgiven. Oh, I need to be holy. That's true. We just walk through that. But I don't think we talk about rewards enough. There is a blessing if you do this. In some of your translations, it might say there's a, there's a happiness or a joy that is in this. The Lord is promising you this. No matter what you do in his ministry, some people will never see that you went to somebody's house that nobody loved and, and took care of them. Some people will never see what you've done for those people that are hurting or lost and maybe for people that have rejected the church and you reached across the gap and, and just loved on them. But the Lord will see it. And I want to let you know something. Would you rather have blessings and accolades from me or from God? Because when he pours out his blessings and accolades, it ends up with an, a joy that lasts for eternity. Just think about this. We're diving into the very heart of Christ's ministry together. He's asking you first to lead by serving. For what end? For love. I want you to hear this in Luke chapter 22, verse 27. He says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Look at what Jesus says in response to himself. He says, but I am among you as one who serves. Just think about that. Christ is saying this. You're only here by invitation. And what am I doing when I invited you to my table? I didn't put you to work. I worked on you. The greater has come to us. The king that has everything has given everything to us who have nothing. And that's where we meet Christ. I want to remind you, Luke chapter 22 is a great chapter too because they're all on their way walking to this moment at the Passover dinner, right? And, and the disciples are behind Jesus, not even thinking about where Jesus is headed, right? He's headed to the cross. That's where his mind is at. And they're walking behind him and they're like, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Is it going to be me? I'm the best disciple. Oh, not you. You're the worst. I'm going to be the one sitting next to Jesus. And I just picture Jesus now. This is me in my movie brain. I picture Jesus being like, I just spent the last three years with these guys. And this is the best that they can do. And in this verse, what is he saying? I've come to serve. I've come to serve you. Think about what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. I've come to serve you that are going to reject me. I'm going to serve those that are going to deny me and run away. I'm going to even serve the one that's going to sell me out to the Sanhedrin for, for 30 shekels. I am here because I have unlimited power and unlimited love, and you are here because if I didn't, you wouldn't be able to say in this moment that I have seen the Lord and he has loved me. That is a power that is driven by love and has now decided to make you a part of his story. So here we are at this crossroads. Today, if you were a believer, you're at this crossroads with these disciples. We are here together saying maybe to the Lord, no, 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 I'm okay. I don't need you, Messiah. Or in humility, we say, Lord, I am completely dirty and I need to be completely washed by your cleansing power. Please wash me today. So in a minute, we're going to do communion together. And you'll have a time of reflection. And this is a great passage for you to reflect on how much God has done for you. And how much he's cleansed you of. And as we celebrate that communion together, I just want to remind you, um, it is a time of reflection and remembrance, but it's also a time um, for us to realize this, that we serve a good God. Amen. We serve a loving God who has all power. And you know what? Without power, uh, somebody said in the last service, I said, what would be someone with, with all power, or sorry, sorry, all love and no power? And someone said hippies. And I just thought that was funny. 
<laughs> I don't know why I had to share that with you. I thought that was hilarious. And I said, what would be somebody with all, with all power and no love? They would be selfish, and yet what we have in Jesus Christ is a God that came to serve you. We are going to celebrate this moment. We have been served well, have we not? So um, I'm going to do one thing before we do it. We're going to pray, and I'm going to invite the band up. And as we pray, I'm going to give the opportunity to somebody in this room, if you are here and you're hearing the message for the first time, um, and you would like to be a part of this community, if you would like to be a part of God's family, we're going to do an opportunity for you to receive salvation today, and then you can join in communion with us. Communion is for believers. Uh, you don't have to be a member to join in communion. Um, if you are a visitor, we'd love for you to join, but you do need to be a believer. So if we can, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this beautiful and wonderful day. I thank you for the fact that I didn't even know that I needed you and you came to me. And you died for me while I was still a sinner. I thank you for the fact that you love me more than I could even love myself. I would have probably given up on me 20 times long ago, and yet you kept pursuing me and running me down and chasing me and washing me. And you did it because you had the power to lift me up. And you did it because you had the love that would last for eternity. And so if there is somebody in this room right now that doesn't know Jesus that way, but would love to know Jesus that way today, please raise your hand. If you would like to receive salvation, feel free. And we'll pray that sinner's prayer together. Thank you. Thank you. And as you hear my voice, just repeat these words after me and we'll pray together. Lord, I am a sinner. And I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And I call you Messiah today. And I confess you as my Lord. And I will live for you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm just going to invite you to do communion. But I also want to invite you to stay after service. We'd love to give you a, a gift of a, a Bible so that you can read along with us and um, you can join in communion. But now I'm going to do one other prayer. And this is for us believers in this room. Let's pray for cleanliness. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that I don't deserve it, but you are before me today on your hands and knees doing work that I'm ashamed to admit to myself, but I know you know everything. Please wash me. Forgive me. Make me new. Make me more like you. Move my pride aside in humility. I connect with you. And I receive the gift of freedom from sin. Freedom from the bondage of, of death. And right now, I know for a fact that you have forgiven me and I have a new lease on life. And I appreciate and have so much gratitude for it. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.